Hello, pod. I'm Chris Stewart, and welcome to The Ranking, which is a new monthly Empire podcast in which myself and three other Empire writers argue the toss on a popular series or the work of a popular director or popular writer, and we try and rank their films definitively coming up with the top 10. Now, you will be able to read that top 10 and a concise uh, version of this in the magazine. So this is a companion piece, a companion podcast, if you will. And today... We will be Stephen King-splaining. Over the next 40 minutes or so, we'll be discussing the films of Stephen King and trying to come up with what we think are the definitive top 10 Stephen King films. And joining me for that King-splaining, we have Nick Desemlin. Hello. We have James Dyer. Hello. And we have Simon Crook. Hello. All right, so let's talk about Stephen King. I think it's been a pretty good year for Stephen King adaptations. After maybe a little bit of a fallow period, we've got, obviously... Some great cinematic adaptations and The Dark Tower. Uh, we had we had It this year. We had Gerald's Game on TV. We had Mr. Mercedes and, of course, The Dark Tower, which didn't live up to uh, its promise. Not good. Weirdly short for something based on a series of epic novels. It was about, <laughs> yeah. it was about 40 minutes long or something. Um, <laughs> I, I wish it had been 40 minutes long. I mm. caught up with The Dark Tower. Let's that's, that's, that's just get it out of the way. The Dark Tower is not going to be on our list, right? It's not going to be on any of our top tens. Well, right? Chris. No, it isn't. <laughs> Jimbo, you were just perverse enough to maybe stick it on your top ten list. No, it's, just, it's the sort of thing I would do, but even I couldn't put that on. Uh, no, yeah. just, just that's a whole world of no. Even though the lead character is called Roland, and I approve of that, I can't, I can't get on board with this film. <laughs> Are we massive King Vans in this room? Let's just establish our King credentials. Simon? I'm a big fan of the films, actually, rather than the, rather than the books themselves. I quite like his short stories rather than his novels. Uh-huh. I think he's written about 450 short stories or something the, the short like story, A lot of the short stories are absolutely amazing. I'm, right, I'm actually reading Nightmare and Dreamscapes at the moment, which is absolutely ace. What's the Nightmares and Dreamscapes? R- oh, God. I think, is it, I think it opens with Dolan's Cadillac. Oh, that's a good one. God, and not mean, a good that's film. a great story, but it's been turned into a film, hasn't it, recently? Yeah. It's starting, you know. So you're not, a, you're not a huge, huge fan, Jimbo? What about, what about you? I have read one Stephen King book. Well, I'm glad I invited you But here. But it was split into five parts. The Green Mile. The Green Mile. I, I read The Green Mile serialised uh, when it came out sort of month by month. Was it six parts? Uh, indeed. I clearly missed the last one. No. Yes, in six parts. Uh, yeah, I read the whole of The Green Mile. You the Green Mile. I have never got on with Stephen King because he is a very ponderous writer, a very, very good writer. Incorrect. Uh, but... You know, what? ponderous writer. Well, just in the so, 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 so please, have you read no, any other books? Explain, <laughs> explain your position, man, who has read one Stephen King book. <laughs> yes. No, but I know because he, the Green Man is actually quite pacey. I thought for one of his books, in terms of description, it's not over the top because it's serialized. It was quite pulpy. It didn't feel like an over the top thing. I have tried to read The Stand. I have tried to read It, and I have found both of them to be very, very slow. You are a buffoon. Uh, the, no, but he's extremely good. And I, it, it occurred to me looking at this, I have seen an alarming number of his uh, adaptations, both on big and small screen. So I quite like his stuff. Mm. It's just his his method of writing is perhaps not immediate enough for me. Says the George R.R. R. Martin fan. And, uh, <laughs> There's not enough yep. boiled leather. Um, <laughs> there isn't yeah. enough you, lobstered greaves or you, boiled leather. You live in hypocrisy hill, sir. Uh, yeah. Nick? Um, I wasn't a fan until you, actually, Chris, turned me on to him probably about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And since then, I have read lots and lots. I read the entirety of The Dark Tower last year. This year, I've read the Mr. Mercedes books and... Reading it uh, again for the second time. Uh, I actually quite like the Tommy Knockers. 
I like the Tommyknockers. Uh, King uh, is the writer who I've been reading since I was far too young to actually read Stephen King. Weirdly enough, though, I don't know if I've read every single book he's ever written. There's there's a couple, you know, for example, I was looking at the other day. I have no recollection. I probably have read it, but I have no recollection of reading uh, Dumas Key. Just none. I probably have. King says he can't remember writing some books. There's some Stephen King books I can't remember reading. But uh, The Stand, I think, is the greatest book of all time. And it's just extraordinary. And then it's full, unexpurgated, 1,400-page glory. It is just a thing of absolute beauty. N-O-O-N spells beauty. Even his nonfiction is brilliant, though. On writing is, is just essential, essential for oh, anyone who writes. That, I just interviewed William Freakin a few weeks ago, and he mentioned that as a yeah. book he keeps rereading. Yeah. And he read it before he wrote his own memoir. But, yeah, it's a yeah. sensational book. Yeah. Well, that's the re-evaluation that he's had hasn't he I mean people used to think he was trash back in the 80s didn't they it was like a trash read and nowadays he's regarded quite rightly as they always compare him to Dickens I always find that quite odd but but it's true and just just in the output just in the output that imagination that just keeps on flowing yeah. it's quite incredible there's nobody else like him and so with, with, with King, obviously we're here to talk about his uh, film adaptations and adaptations of his work. Before we get on to that, Jimbo threw a spanner in the works when we were discussing this, because you said you planned to include The Stand in yes. your top 10. So you said we should consider miniseries and uh, works made for the small screen. I think you have to, and there are two reasons for this. One, because there have been so many of them, and some of them very good. But second of all, I do not believe Stephen King's books that I haven't read lend themselves... <laughs> I do not believe they lend themselves to cinematic format. You I are think a they buffoon. Are, sorry, I've, already, no. I've called you a buffoon twice now. <laughs> you have, and, and it may well be accurate, I mean, but they are too long and too convoluted to fit into a standard movie. But like, a, it works because it's only half the book. Do you know what I mean? Whereas it worked as a miniseries. And I think, you know, some of the Shawshank Redemption, fine, because it was a short story. But, but most of his, some of his best films are based on short stories. Mm. You know? Well, yeah, absolutely. But that kind of proves my point. Do you know what I mean? Like his long piece, like The Stand. Can you imagine a world in which The Stand is a single two or even three hour it's, film? It's impossible. Not a chance. It's impossible. So, and, and the miniseries is flawed, but I think it, it gives a good old stab at trying to tell that incredible Well, Dark Tower story. should have been a, a TV series, really, shouldn't it? Yeah, it should which have been was an the HBO plan, wasn't show. it? You know, it should have been a very long, drawn out thing where you can appreciate the mythology. I think rushing it helps. No I one. agree that not all of them are suited, but many of them are. Some, well, yeah, some I mean, work. Carrie, I mean, Carrie, Carrie clearly is works. not a TV show. Yeah, absolutely. That's not a TV show. Are we um, counting Richard Bachman stories? Well, I, r The Running Man would be on my yes. list. Yes, we are. Because so. he's a totally different guy, right? I mean, <laughs> two, different, two different people. They have different names. <laughs> I don't know why I brought it up, really. No, we're, we're absolutely considering... Uh, stories adapted from the works of Richard Bachman. It's basically yes. just Running Man. <laughs> I don't think there's anything else. It is basically just Running Man. Um, Frank Darabont, I think, held the rights for years to The Long Walk, uh, which is an incredible Richard Bachman book about a uh, dystopian future, very pre-Hunger Games, uh, in which the a group of kids have to walk across the states and the last one left alive wins, essentially. So that if you fall behind, if you fall behind the pace, you have to walk for day and night, three days and three day night, three nights. And you get to know these kids and literally their heads blow up if they fall behind the pace. And it's, it's extraordinary, uh, piece of, uh, of writing. Uh, very runny man, actually. So it's a walking man or walking man. It's, yeah, it's a walking man, essentially. Uh, so, okay. I will consider, yes. Okay, let's, let's throw in, because here's the thing. If you don't consider TV series or miniseries or, or adaptations for the small screen, then you have to throw out Salem's Lot. And Salem's Lot is, for me, absolutely going to be in my top ten list. I'm not saying where, 
but it is absolutely on the list because oh, you're talking about the seventies one, right? the seventies one, the Toby Hooper one, not not the uh, the dreadful one with Rob Lowe. I saw that for the first time uh, two months ago because I wasn't allowed to watch it when I was a kid, and every everybody else in the playground had been yapping on about it, and my parents wouldn't let me watch it when it was broadcast. Was it the early eighties? Was seventies? Seventies. David yeah. Soul, so it must be late seventies. Seventies, yeah. <sighs> So, yeah, it properly stands up. What do you think about it? Because the, the Salem's Lot for me, I don't know whether you guys feel the same, but Salem's Lot for me is there's two moments in particular that are embedded in my consciousness. And I think the, you know the moments <laughs> I'm talking about. Floating in the window. And then you have the moment where the Nosferatu-style vampire, Mr. Barlow, appears from nowhere and just goes <laughs> in, the, in the prison and just scares the shit out of the guy in the cell. It's a, an incredible, incredible moment. And the rest of the series is hokey as hell. Tommy Knockers uh, TV show. I have a lot of fondness for just anything. Tommy Knockers, I love. Jimmy Last Smith. night and Jimmy the night Smith. before. Huh? Last night and the night before. Yeah, Tommy no. Knockers. Tommy Knockers. At your yes. door. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> um, All right. Yeah. So, so I'm was... not putting any TV shows in my top ten. So really, no, yeah. I'm just going movies. You know. Okay. Apart from Salem's Lot. I'm you guys really are. Talented. Have I just uh, thrown a, a spanner in the works? You've completely myself. Thrown a spanner in the works. Yeah, see. Well, this is all. <laughs> this really is all on Jimbo. Top ten. Yes. It's just been thrown into. You're throwing a bucket of blood onto the... Because uh, uh, James actually has a soft spot for, for the uh, It miniseries as well, which I, I think is largely bobbins, apart from it. the fact that, uh, that Tim Curry's pretty good. Curry. He's very, very good. No, I think it's fantastic. It hasn't aged fantastically, but then part of the reason for that is the book obviously is heavily influenced by King's childhood, so the scary things in it are, you know, mummies, werewolves, stuff like that, which I don't think translated all that well in the 80s to things people were then afraid of, which is interesting because that's what they updated in the new It to make them kind of make the horror touch points more relatable. I do uh, think the works. middle age Pennywise is more scary than the new younger one. Could I just, I'm going to throw in an honourable mention, this won't be on my list, but uh, the episode of Quantum Leap. Oh my God. Yes. Okay. In which young Stephen King features with little Cujo the dog and stuff like yeah. that. You know, that is genius. It's genuinely really scary as well. Yeah. You know, when Al turns up, except it's not Al, it's like Satan. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a really good episode. And that, those references to Stephen King are actually better and more organic than the ones that crowbar into the Dark Tower. <laughs> where, yeah. I mean, it's it's like the, at one point someone is playing with a car that looks a lot like Christine, and then they look across the street and there's a dog, and it looks a lot like Cujo. And it's just that film, oh my God, oh my God. I didn't see it when it came out in the cinema, and I, I, I caught up with it on a plane, and I wanted to walk out. And it's just, it's so. <laughs> It's so awful. It's people who, I get the feeling, had read the Wikipedia notes and basically just tried to adapt that. It's a very timid adaptation, I think, is the problem. is The Dark Tower books are so bonkers and off the wall and so mad. You need to embrace that, and they didn't. They kind of went away. Even though he was involved, they kind of shrunk away from it. And I think mm. you just need to go go mad, go big, mm. take some risks. But unless it's maximum overdrive, in which case that would be a, a terrible mistake. <laughs> Based on a very good uh, King short story, a lot of fun. Trucks is maximum overdrive. Yes. So yeah, it's uh, yes. Um, um, yeah, a, a film, a film which Stephen King directed. Oh, I read an me. interview recently where Stephen King was promoting the film right. in inverted commas before it came out, and he was basically going, "It's a film for morons. Um, <laughs> it's not as good as 2001: Space Odyssey." He's basically trying to stop everyone from watching a film he made. Do you, do you remember the jerk where the where the, where the sniper is shooting the um, tin, yeah. uh, the, the tins? And he's and he's sniping at the tins. So that was maximum overdrive to me. It's, the, it's those little tins flying around. Isn't there a sort of like a coke machine that attacks somebody in maximum yeah. overdrive? I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. There was a lot of coke, that's for sure. Yeah, get away from the tins. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There you go. I think whenever King tries to get directly involved with a movie, it usually 
doesn't end well or an adaptation for example so whenever he wrote he wrote the screenplay recently for uh, a good marriage which is Anthony Napalia and Joan Allen and is based on a uh, on a book I think from Full Dark No Stars a novella from from that not good uh, he wrote the screenplay of course famously for Sleepwalkers the only original screenplay he's written yeah not good he did but he came up with original material for Creep Show which I would argue would be right in my top ten could really? I just say yeah, he wrote he wrote three of, the three, of, three of those stories I think were written specifically well, for that it's also his greatest feature. performance in which he turns into a broccoli monster yeah he does <laughs> I mean, he's I, got proper Garth Marenghi do you know what I, I watched that over the weekend again and uh, it's Geordie Verrill isn't it yeah. and he looks like the Grinch, you know the Grinch with the, yeah. the Jim Carrey Grinch with the sort of like hairy green thing. That's that's what Stephen King. Creep Show Two. I saw when I was nine years old, and the, you know the the sequence of the raft. The raft, yeah. The traumatized me to the extent that I know I'm not even kidding. I had full blown anxiety attacks for two years every single night after seeing that film. Like it properly fucked me up that thing. And then I remember the year afterwards, we went on holiday to Centre Parks, you know, where there's this great big lake in the middle of it, and I went full mental and refused to leave the chalet. Um, it, this explains a lot, I think, of my adult life. But yeah, I'm properly. Properly but the effects on that, there's basically a large kind of Oil. cellophane. Yeah, but it's yeah. also Mob, really right? creepy because, like, so they're being menaced by this, yeah. this, this carnivorous oil slick mm. and while standing there the bloke gets a little bit creepy and starts trying to peer down the girl's top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, obviously, she rolls over and half her face is missing because the thing's been eating her the whole time. It's, I mean, it's just horrendous. It's just the most horrific thing. I'm having NARM flashbacks just talking this about explains it. This is very so, upsetting. This explains so much. Yeah. Yeah, The Shining has given me a bit of a phobia of axe murderers. Well, that's... <laughs> um, the Raft is incredible. I love it. But um, Father's Day. Do you remember Father's Day in Creepshow? I With Ed Harris. Cake. Yeah. I want my cake. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. it's a classic. It's amazing. But and Ed, Ed Harris does the worst dancing I think I've ever seen in a film. It's extraordinary. Yeah. yeah. Do check that out, actually. If you've never seen Ed Harris dancing, it um, looks like <laughs> one of his legs has been removed. It's, um, <laughs> it's quite extraordinary. Nice. Slapping um, around on butter. Rightfully off, Hollywood has always taken notice of King. Carrie, the, the adaptation of Carrie that Brian De Palma made in 1976, followed very quickly on from the book. Salem's Lot followed very quickly. The Shining came out in 1980. The Shining comes out uh, soon after the book comes out as well. So Hollywood and King, I think, rightfully off have been interlinked. There are very, very few Stephen King short stories or books. I'm thinking of something like The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon or From a Buick 8 that haven't been adapted for the big screen. What is it about King that has made him so popular with, with filmmakers? It's just the big high concepts. You know, Cujo is a killer dog. Shining is a terrifying hotel. I think he just has these very simple ideas that um, whether you are very faithful adaptations or whether you just take that and throw everything else out. This is it. It's an easy concept. He's, he's the high concept he's a man. concept machine. He's just, they just spew yeah. out. I mean, I was just looking at them. There's above 60 features, certainly, just movies. And each one, you look at it, and, and each one has an immediate concept that you can describe. It's the classic Hollywood pitch, isn't it, of the sort of late 80s where the Bruckheimer were doing, uh, Simpson and Bruckheimer coming up with, with movies that just they could describe in less than five words or something like that. And mm. that's exactly what you can do with King. He's a genius, I think. Yeah, I think he is. I mean, King has talked in the past about his his creative process essentially being a what if situation that he right. will, he will think about something mundane and go well, but what if? So what if that mangler was possessed? What if nah. <laughs> you know? What, what if, if Gary Busey fought a werewolf? 
I think possibly his greatest uh, silver bullet. I think possibly his greatest one. I wonder if this is why Dark Tower doesn't work. Because he doesn't can't, have Gary Busey. He doesn't have Gary Busey or a werewolf. But also, it, 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 you can't boil the Dark Tower down to. This is, a, a this is a really good point. Yeah. This is um, a really good point because they had trouble selling that film. Yeah. People didn't know what it was. I mean, it looked like a kind of kind of space western in the it posters. Is, yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, well, space western. I must go and see that. <laughs> But you're right. One of the, my other favourite ones. You're right, Nick. I mean, that's a cracking point because the opening of the Dark Tower it boils it down to such a simplistic reading of what is an incredibly complex uh, series of books that you're you're rolling your eyes from frame one when they fundamentally misunderstood what this is about. I remember once um, reading something that King said he came up with the mist because he was just sitting in a traffic jam and he thought, oh, what if I was just sitting here and a giant monster just walked over my car. Oh, right. Okay. So that's where you had the idea. There's a there's a moment in the mist right at the end where there's a giant monster walking over their, their car. Yeah. Um, I think misery must, have, misery must have come from him having a stalker or... No, misery, misery was about... Actually was about... wasn't about... Less about the fans. It was more about him worrying that his imagination was, was coming to an end and he'd planted all of that into the author character... And then the fan thing came later. Okay. Um, the crazed fan thing. It's about it's about creative anguish. As yeah. are a lot Dark of half. Yeah, this yeah. is it. He writes about writers an awful lot. I mean, I look at my top ten and it's all full of writers. It yeah. sounds really easy, but they're but they're you know yeah. it gives him gives him license for the imagination that comes into it because you can believe it because it's from a writer's brain. Yeah. Like stand by me and all that kind of thing. No, yeah. I agree. Recently since his car accident as well, there's a lot of lot of heroes in his books have been dealing with car accidents or physical right. rehabilitation. Right. I think there are some phenomenal films in this list, but there are some truly shocking ones as well. <laughs> like as in he's been adapted very prolifically, but some of these are terrible. Did anyone watch... Uh, very few people, I think, have seen The Langoliers. Have you seen The Langoliers? I've seen The Langoliers. Again, a very interesting concept, isn't Dreadful it? Dreadful CG. Dreadful just, CG. Just the worst. Uh, but I, what, are, what are Langoliers? Are they, I thought they were a type of shellfish. No, they're like they're the things that almost they eat reality after time has passed. So oh, those. Right. A few seconds <laughs> into... So once... <laughs> As, if I remember, and it's been a long time since I've seen it, like when time moves on... Uh, the Langoliers come and basically clean up everything and just destroy everything. Is that right? I can't remember. Do you remember? But, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's, there's the plane and they end up stuck between times. That's a whole thing. Yeah. Um, it's it's, it's a, weird. It's the, a weird one. The short story is really, really great. The, uh, the, doesn't it the, end with them all jumping in the air and like there's a freeze frame of them all jumping for joy or something? I thought, I thought, That's Anchorman, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I think it ends basically the same as Anchorman. Does someone Kids throw a trident? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that yeah. does sound bad. I haven't seen it. I, I made Simon uh, watch every Children of the Corn oh, movie for a column once. What was, yeah. your, what was your take on that? Talk about trauma, yeah. Yeah, I actually did that. I mean, when I did that binge watch, I did 12 hours of non-stop Children of the Corn. Um, and ironically, the best one in the series didn't have any children and or didn't corn have corn. any corn in it either. <laughs> um, it was the last one, actually. It's called Children of the Corn Genesis. It was a bit of a reboot, and it's actually genuinely spooky. But, but is, that, <sighs> is that in your list? Does that make your top ten? No, certainly not. Although I would say, actually, hold on a minute. Let me just um, look up his name, because it was, it was, I, what's his name? 
Let's have a look. Yeah, yeah, John, John Franklin as, as yeah. Isaac. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's an extraordinary performance. I didn't even realise he wasn't a kid. And so he yeah. must have been in his mid-twenties when he was playing him. And, uh, and uh, he's genuinely sinister. It's really great. I think there's, there's only one answer to the question, which Stephen King adaptation has the worst title? And it's the 1996 straight-to-DVD sequel, <laughs> Sometimes They Come Back Again. again. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> so he came back, they came back, they realised they'd forgotten the keys. Left the oven on. Yeah. There are dozens of King uh, movies. A lot of them are shit, let's be honest. Uh, a lot of them are dreadful. You know, the Mangler. Anyone, anyone here seen The Mangler? Mm, no. Yes. Have you seen Thinner? Thinner? Yes. <laughs> That's pretty thinner. bad. Oh my God. That's not good either. But there are some great adaptations. So I'm going to be really intrigued to see what the top 10 comes out. I'll be really in- interested to see what your personal top 10s are because. There are some fantastic films out there. There's, you know, great filmmakers have taken an interest in King over the years, whether it's obviously Brian De Palma or John Carpenter or Rob Reiner or Frank Darabont, who has made more Stephen King adaptations. He's made four films and three of those were King adaptations. What do we think will be number one? It's got to be Shawshank, right? Incorrect answer. Shining. It's got to be The Shining. It has to be The Shining. Well, I mean... As a Stephen King fan, surely you shouldn't love The Shining because he this fucking true. hates The Shining. Do you know what? This this is this is true, but I don't know. I mean, we all talk to directors a lot of the time, and the amount of times recently that I've talked to certain horror directors, and The Shining will come up in conversation without even me offering talking about The Shining. It was a huge influence for Robert Eggers on The Witch, Triad with Shorts, It Comes at Night, um, Adam Wingard, it's his... To, it, that's the movie that he carries around with him at all times. Leon Critch is um, obsessed. Yeah. Toy Story. I'm not this sure the it. influence on Toy Story is that strong, but... But it's a craft thing, isn't it? <laughs> this is a filmmaker's craft thing rather than the actual story itself. I'm always, I'm always yeah. intrigued by it. So we were talking about it in, in the office this week, weren't we? And it's, yeah. it's like a contagion. It's easy Ooh, to contagion get... Oh, is great. But it's easy, to get, it's easy to get obsessed with The Shining. It really is. It's... Yeah, I don't find that many films truly scary, but The Shining mm. is one of them, I think, mm. just because it's about madness and it's kind of this one guy just cracking up and there's kind of well, plausibility to that you don't get from a film about killer dog Yeah, that anyone could have a kind of meltdown. Um, and I just find it really scary for that reason. Uh, Shawshank is a brilliant film, but I think for a, for a film that gives you that Stephen King sense of dread and feeling terrified, I think it's got to and be Shining. And it's not a horror this is my issue with Shawshank. Well, oh, I see. It's, it's not horror. about Shining. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's a Simon, you need to go back and reread. <laughs> it's a documentary. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Shawshank isn't a horror. No. And I just don't think that represents what he's all about. But in Stand By Me, he's not a horror. Exactly. One of the things Stephen King hated about it was um, the character of Wendy, and he thought Shelley Duvall it wasn't her fault, but played it way too broadly and but that's but that's fine because it's an adaptation remember i'm i'm not asking for his books to be directly sort of magically uh uh put on the screen word for word that's the whole purpose of what kubrick did with the shining surely it's uh but she does scream a lot she's kind of from the beginning of the movie almost she's she's freaking out yeah she's she's too highly highly strong for me right from the beginning of the film to make the the deterioration and he's a psycho. He's, yeah, he's, he's a psycho from frame one, basically. From, from the off, pretty much. I mean, yeah. he's Which he, isn't the case in the book. Yeah. I, I, I like The Shining. The Shining's probably going to be in my top ten. 
and you've undermined the point I'm about to make by, by naming a lot of great horror film directors who like it, but I always feel that The Shining is kind of like the go-to film for filmmakers to reference who it don't is. really like horror films. And oh. they're going to go, oh, the, uh, horror film, The Shining. The Shining's great. Why is The Shining great? Because it's made by Kubrick. Uh, but they wouldn't be caught dead with a, with, with a Wes Craven or a John Carpenter. You know what I mean? Uh, that, that's what I feel. But then you just named Adam Wingard, who's brilliant. So yeah. I yeah. completely undermined my point. Bastard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Stand by me, though. That's that's interesting. Let's I talk will about stand by you. I'll stand let's, by you constantly. Let's, let's talk about stand by me because I watched that again last night. It's very fresh in my head. I love that you actually prepped for this. Oh God yeah, God bless you. It's amazing. I did. Yeah, and and that film is Stephen King's Toy Story, right? It's Stephen Ex- King's Toy please Story. Please explain. Because it takes you back to what it's like being a child. That's exactly what that film is all about. That is the heart of the film. And it's about a bunch of 12-year-olds who are going, you know, looking for a dead body. But I used to go out, as did, as did you do, you know, you used to go looking out for dead bodies. Yeah, and, you know, <laughs> looking for dead bodies and, and chewits and stuff. I don't know. I mean, but but that's that's what I think that, that film has captured. And that's why I think it speaks to so many people, because it does take you back to being yeah. a child. Well, we wouldn't have Stranger Things without... Probably that story. Obviously, he's done other mm. stories with kids, but yeah, that's one of the key ones. It, it's mm. a big influence as well, Stranger mm. Things. Mm. Yeah, no yeah. question. Yeah, Stand By Me is great. And Stand By Me is obviously one of the two, it's a Rob Reiner double whammy, because I, I think Misery is a fantastic film. I rewatched it again recently, not in preparation for this, just for shits and giggles. And it, it, it still holds up. Uh, it's, it, it's efficient. But what's interesting about um, both Misery and The Shining, and this is another reason maybe why I don't like The Shining that much is I read The Shining before I saw The Shining and Scatman Crothers' character in The Shining survives in the book but gets unceremoniously bumped off in the film and that kind of stuck on my craw a little bit. And the same thing with um, the Richard Farnsworth character in Misery. He gets unceremoniously bumped off. Pretty sure. See, there's an interesting story about about misery in that that famous hobbling scene because in the book it's a it's a propane torch and an axe. It's a chainsaw, isn't it? It's, it's, it's super grim. It's, 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 it's bloody and horrible, and it Imagine, remained yeah. in that script. William Goldman Wright wrote it, didn't he? I mean, the great William Goldman, and um, and he fought and fought and fought for that hobbling scene to be in it, and they decided no. I mean. There's absolutely no way because you have a weird affection for Kathy Bates' character in that film, and if she had done the whole axe and propane torch thing, the audiences just would have lost her completely. They would just want she's she's a complete and utter psychopath. She's completely ruined his life forever. And Ryan had just thought, you know, it's too strong, it's too much. Warren Beatty was actually the one who popped in and just went, you know, what about, what about, <laughs> just, what about a sledgehammer? Stuck his head around the just, corner. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. How many meet? Have you thought about a sledgehammer, Rob? <laughs> um, yeah, sure, that's a great idea. Bye, Warren. Yeah. <laughs> but he was, he wanted to, he wanted to be um, in that movie, and the reason he wasn't it was because because Dick Kathy Tracy Bates had already nailed it. No, it's Dick Tracy. He was sort of like. a uh, in the mire of Dick Tracy and he was going he really wanted to play that part and he had lots of input in the script of Misery I know that mm. um, would have been a great movie with um, Warren Beatty I think yeah he's perfect for that you yeah. know because oh, he's a real like, womanizer and all that kind of thing and just watching him being emasculated by a don't lead me down the rabbit hole of great films that could have had Warren Beatty in the yeah, and we're going to yeah, yeah, kill Bill and I'll just start shedding a single tear let's talk about The Mist Yes. Yeah. That's got to be, that's going to be high up on mine. It's very high on mine. Yes. The Mist has what I think is the most 
devastating ending of any film ever made. It's fantastic, isn't it? But people hate it. Because people that really ending, hate that yeah, ending. Can, it's the least commercial ending ever. I mean, I remember coming out of that film and just wondering, just listlessly around, just wondering why I bothered existing. It's the <laughs> most nihilistic thing ever. Just, I, I feel, is the statute of limitation? Can we talk about the ending? It's yes, like, we can talk about the ending. Yeah. Okay, so it's just the bit where they realise they're absolutely fucked. They're out there. You know, he shoots the other two. He's got one bullet left. He puts a bullet in his little son's head. And then just moments later, the mist clears and a truck goes past with the woman who'd essentially wandered out of the store, who everyone thought was dead. And they're all fine and they get rescued. And the look on his face, and you're just like, I honestly, part of my soul just died at that moment. Yeah. It's and he, has just... no, but he doesn't have the bullets to kill himself. No, I know. It's just, oh, right. I can't yeah. even <laughs> think about it. I mean, it's so unnecessarily bleak. It's not unnecessary at all. That is horror. And that is what King is great at. You know. But the interesting thing, and I'm sure you've read The Mist, the the, the novella upon which it's based, mm. is that it doesn't end that way. It ends with the word hope, and it ends with them all still alive. And yeah, the, the situation is still bleak, and the world is still covered in a mist with Lovecraftian creatures everywhere. Yeah. But they think they hear a voice on the radio that's saying, yeah, we're still alive, come and, come and, come and meet us. And Frank Darabont, who you know, had previously made... Shawshank, which is, you know, about finding beauty in, in the darkness. Hope can set you free. Uh, the Green Mile, which is, you know, very similar in, in many, many ways. And The Majestic, which is this gorgeous love letter to 1950s cinema, maybe in America that never existed. Who knows? <laughs> and then he makes The Mist, and it's so totally devoid of hope, and it's so totally devoid of, of optimism that it kind of took me by surprise. I was on set of the film for about oh, wow. a week. In Shreveport, Louisiana, back in 2007. Uh, one of the best uh, set physics experiences of my life. Uh, like a little masterclass, you know, just hanging out with Darbont and Greg Nicotero in the Creature Effects shop. And it was just phenomenal. And uh, they gave me the script to read, but they didn't include the last 10 pages. Uh, and uh, every time you asked about the, the ending, I was, so what is it? And Frank would go, oh, well, you know, it's it's different. It's different. It's not... <laughs> It's not what you expect. It's not, did, it's not what you think. This year, let him do it. Yeah, this is, this is mean, my question. Because he made it for about $15 million, I think. He, had to, he lost some of the budget to do that scene, yeah, right? Yeah. He made a deal with them. and right. um, you, They said you can have this much money if you shoot a happy ending. You can have a tenth of it if you shoot... I think it was something like that. And uh, yeah, he went, for, they went, he went for the cheap, terrifying, just bleak as hell. I love that film. It's got like a surrealism and an abstractness. It kind of feels like a metaphor for, I don't know, anything. Brexit. (laughs) (laughs) Brexit's a giant moth. It's a shame because the the TV adaptation, which season one ran this year, is... The um, only season. Yeah, well, you never know. No, it's been cancelled. Oh, it's been been cancelled. Okay, fine. Uh, It's not good. I reviewed it. It's terrible. Uh, But it's, I mean, that is not a patch on it. I mean, it's, again, Lovecraftian. It's very gory. It's very downbeat, but it's just, it's solid. The monsters are amazing. Like, especially, specifically, the, the image I always remember is the spider that shoots the web and the web just slices through it's made of like acid yes. and it just burns straight through some of the, it's really grim some uh, of the gore stuff but really really effect, those insects are terrifying yeah. and it's, it's one of King's uh, key themes as well is, which is religious celebratory coming to the fore it happens an awful lot I mean you know Carrie White's mum and Mrs. Carmody that's one of the reasons why I love it. It's, it's about the monsters within as well as the monsters yeah. without. It's it's one of my absolute favourites. But I love Darabon. I think Darabon and King are the absolute ma- absolute match made in heaven. There are other filmmakers whose takes on King I've loved over the years. I do like what Kubrick did, although King clearly didn't. He thought, hey, you know what? He's going to do a better job. Mick Garris. <laughs> <laughs> that's who. Have you seen it? It's awful. Yeah. So bad. In many ways, he's the filmmaker Kubrick could have been. <laughs> <laughs> 
the very Tim best. Does half a take. <laughs> the very, very best of Mick Garris. But yeah, and I, I love John Carpenter's Christine, but for me, it's, it's Darabont. And for me, it's Shawshank. And I'm, in, I'm surprised, disappointed, surprised that you guys said The Shining. Jimbo, Jimbo what do you think for, for your number one? What's, what would, what would be your number one? My number one is, is in fact, The Shawshank Redemption. Okay. Yes. Well, it's, this uh, The Shining is a number three. Well, this might affect where the films are wind up in the, on the final top ten. That's uh, very interesting. But Shawshank, for me, is a film that absolutely blew me away when I first saw it. And I hadn't read the novella beforehand, Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption. In fact, I don't think I'd really read different seasons until many, many years down the line. But I remember seeing it and loving it so much that I was watching it at home uh, on a break from university. And I watched it in my upstairs uh, in my bedroom, on my TV in my bedroom. And I loved it so much, I had ran downstairs immediately and made my mum and dad watch it. Uh, such a great film. All right, let's wrap this up. Um, any surprises? We, we can't wrap it up without not not mentioning The Dead Zone. Oh, Come there we go. On. Well, that's what I was going to say. Any surprises Come on your list? Come on. The Dead Come Zone. On. Now, I did watch this again over the weekend. And you say that uh, uh, Darabont and... And King are a really good combination. I'd say Cronenberg and King are just perfect together, especially for that story. It's incredible. Have you, when was the last time you saw that, The Dead Zone? No, it's I mean. been a while. I suspect it feels pretty topical, right? Good grief. Yeah, yeah, it's perfect. As actually. does The Running Man. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's weirdly prescient. Yeah, yeah. Some of his kind of ones that touch on politics. Yeah, yeah. I think he kind of saw politics going that way. He's quite a vocal guy on Twitter, critic mm. of Trump. and um, But yeah, I remember the, this Martin Sheen Place to, yeah, yeah, that's right. Who's a, who's kind of a senator? I mean, it's, it's Chris Walken looking like a kind of fleshy skeleton. He's just so perfect in that role, and he's he has a car accident and he's in a coma for five years, and then he just realises he's got some some kind of psychic gift where he can see the future and the past every time he touches somebody. So it's like a it's kind of like a Greek tragedy. Because it's the idea of like having this thing, was it a curse or a gift? And uh, it's dark as hell. It's got a really dark, nasty ending. And I think that film can be read in different ways because it's so ridiculous when he suddenly comes into contact with that senator who's got a... Um, he touches him and finds out that he's going to yeah, start yeah. Uh, Armageddon. He's going to press the press the big button. Um, but it comes out of nowhere. The film completely tips over into an assassination thriller where it had previously been a horror. And next time you see that film, and you really should see that movie again, definitely, is at the cutting off point where Walken has the accident. I think the rest of it is, is a coma dream. It's like a dream. It's all in his head. <laughs> and it actually, none of it actually happens. He and he's just imagining it in his head. It sounds like a bit of a cop out, but it's a really good way of reading that film and squaring away all the illogical elements of that movie. I read all but, films like that. I think it, <laughs> it's all a dream. I think it's a, all a death dream. If, if the, if the hero gets involved in some jeopardy in the first five minutes, I think he's dead. Yeah. And the rest not? of it is just his, him in a coma as he bleeds out gradually on the ground. Especially works for that though and it's got that really cold flat stare that Cronenberg does so well it's uh, really impersonal do you think that you think that movie. do you think that King works well when directors who maybe feel that they're above the source material take take him on Cronenberg I don't think Kubrick necessarily had a high opinion of The Shining as a, as a book interesting question isn't it I mean you've got p- things like that Pupil as well which is on my list I mean, really? that's super current as well. If you watch that movie now, good grief. That's a, that's a kind of neo-Nazis buried in suburbia kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. That, um, if you look that's at what's happened in Charlotte's, was it Charlottesville? Is that where it was? 
it's very easy to uh, place that film in a really contemporary contemporary way. I mean, yeah. yeah, that's a powerful movie. But I mean, yeah, I mean, Brian Singer is kind of, you wouldn't imagine that he'd be doing that kind of thing, making that sort of movie. But I mean, he did. He really pulled it off, I think. Or someone like George Romero maybe leans into the pulpier, oh, leaned into the pulpier aspects sure. of, 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 yeah. uh, of King. I think as a rule, yeah. if he's yeah. involved, if King himself is involved in the making of a film, doesn't usually work out that well. I think this no. year we saw he was heavily involved in The Dark Tower and promoting it and everything. He was all over it. And that wasn't the case with It, as far as I can tell. Yeah. There yeah. you go. Still, you know, what, The Dark Tower is a terrible film, but I finally got to talk to Stephen King this year because of it. So, did. I did. So, yeah, what a, what a blessing for him. What a joy those 15 minutes were. <laughs> I got to call him Steve. That was amazing. I got to tell him I was one of his constant readers. Uh, that was that was pretty pretty special. Uh, there's, there's loads and loads of great films, but that's what we're here for. We're going to argue the toss. So, enough squabbling. Let's vote. Uh, that is it for a Stephen King edition of The Ranking. Join us every Friday for the regular podcast and keep your eye out for spoiler specials and interview specials and much, much more. Until we meet again, it is goodbye from Nick Dissemblian. Goodbye. James Dyer. Goodbye. Simon Crook. Goodbye. Goodbye from me. Uh, thanks so much for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye.